2: What? Uh. On your
3: mark, ready set, let's go Dance Go pro, I know, you know, I go, psycho when my new joint hit just can't sit, gotta get jiggy with it, that's it now, Honey, honey, come ride, DKNY, all up in my eyes You gotta try the bag with a lot of stuff in it Give it to your friend, let's spin Everybody looking at me, glancing at the kid Wishing they was dancing the jig, here with this handsome kid Sick a cigar right from Cuba Cuba, I just bite it for the look, I don't light it It'll to the you on the hand, stay all play Give it up, jiggy, make it feel like play. Yo, my cardio is infinite Ha <laughs> ha,
4: style's all ready, getting jiggy with it. Poor Cat Pastor has to try to figure out whether I'm signaling to feed the sound or just dad dancing in the studio. Um, and they are difficult to tell apart. Before we plunge in, I just want to say, so I was off last week from this show. And, and you know, I mean, since 1982, I've been a newspaper columnist, except that I'm not right now because I'm on a leave of absence. And then I also teach, but the but Yale was on spring break or whatever last week. So, for a rare, really rare moment in my life, I didn't have any work to do for a week. And it turns out I have no idea how to cope with that. It's not that I don't know how to be lazy. I know how to be lazy, but I just don't know how to do that without being worried all the time that I should be doing something. Because I like I, I'm pretty much always need to be doing something. I mean, not not from some inner need. <laughs> But because I need to get something done. And I I had nothing to get done. It was very weird. Okay, so the other thing that I would say is that I was really looking forward to today's Ask or Tell Me Anything show where anybody can call in at 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. Going into the weekend, I was thinking, well, we've got the KBJ confirmation hearings. We've got the Ginny Thomas madness. We've got the nine words that shook the Russian steps. That's Biden saying that, you know, Putin shouldn't be in power anymore. We've got whatever people decide is the reality right now with COVID-19. And I have thoughts about this. So this is going to be fun. There's a lot of topics. And then, of course, last night happened. (laughs) And so we're probably going to be talking about last night. Although, look at that. The first call is not about that. That's so good. So before I get to... Maria, Maria, um, let me just say a couple of things related to last night. So in a different incarnation, a different time of my life, probably up to the age of 35, I played a lot of pickup basketball, like a lot of pickup basketball. So one of the things I've been very amused by is like all the people who are saying today that why wasn't Will Smith arrested? Why wasn't he arrested for assault? Well, the legal reason for that is because Chris Rock would have to press charges. He would have to bring a complaint for that to happen. The philosophical reason is that we just went through a period where I thought we had all kind of collectively, not everybody, but people had kind of collectively decided that we call the police too often, particularly over incidents that can be resolved in some other way. And on those occasions when the police are called, particularly to deal with incidents, relatively minor incidents involving black people and perhaps black men in particular, that the uh, the bad outcome, the risk of a bad outcome is so high that, you know, it's probably better uh, better to resolve these things in some other way. And then the minute this happens, everybody wants to call the police and arrest Will Smith. But let me tell you why I mentioned pickup basketball. Because the people who are saying that, that this was – like I'm not on team Will Smith. He definitely overreacted and we, we'll get into that. But um, – but you know, but the idea that this is some horrifying act of violence, if you're saying that, one thing I know for sure is that you didn't play a lot of pickup basketball because if the police were going to go around arresting people who were involved in one slap or one blow or one punch fights – and they would just do nothing but arrest people at pickup basketball games <laughs> because that happens all the time. I mean, you know, you just spend a lot of time. I was actually played in a league that was so bad they shut it down and wouldn't reopen it until they actually had a retired policeman who would just sit there on the sidelines. But um, not that that stopped anybody. But, you know, it gets so bad. And, and this is I'm going to do a, like a stretchy little parable metaphor here. So. I was playing one day on a court that I didn't really know that well. I was playing with nine other people, none of whom I knew. And suddenly in the middle of the game, we look over and one guy has his hands around the throat of another guy, like full-on strangler mode. It took two of us to pry the guy's hands off off of the windpipe. And when we got it, him kind of calmed down, he said, he looked around and he goes, it isn't just about this. This has been building between me and him for years. <laughs> I'm thinking. Well, I had a lot of thoughts about that, but I was thinking about that in terms of last night because I don't think that that happened last night just because of that one joke. Like there was a lot of other stuff going on. There's a history between Chris Rock and and the the Smiths and Pinkett Smiths. You know, there there'd been another joke at the expense of the Pinkett Smith marriage earlier in the evening by Regina Hall. I mean, and you just never know. You never know. I mean one of the the greatest follies you can engage in is to think that you know what's going on between two people who were in a who are a couple, right? Long running couple, married or otherwise you never know no matter what they tell the outside world even people you know pretty well and go to dinner parties with and stuff and then one day they just announce they're getting divorced or you know the husband gets arrested for domestic abuse or and you think wow you, i just i knew nothing about these people and if that's true then you know nothing about the smiths and you don't know what's going on with them and you know nonetheless there are things to say about that and there's other things to say about last night's oscars too and i think it's sort of too bad that we probably won't talk very much today about CODA, uh, although it was a very, very interesting choice for Best Picture, and one that touches me in a certain way. Those of you who have been listening to this show for a long time know that for, I think, a couple of years maybe? I don't really know. I'm going to say a couple of years. We did something called Radio for the Deaf, where we attempted to create a radio show that was absorbable by the deaf population. Um, It ultimately kind of ran out of gas. But for this, it's very close to my heart for that and other reasons. So anyway, um, maybe we're not going to talk about Will Smith and Chris Rock at all, and that's fine too. Although I have a few more things I want to say about it. So 720 WNPR eight 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 seven two zero nine six seven seven. But we're not. We're, I'm very grateful that the first thing we're going to talk about is not uh, is not going to be. Uh, Chris Rock or the Oscars or anything or Will Smith or anything like that. But in fact about poetry. Here is Maria or possibly Mariah in Middletown. Hi. Hi.
5: So um before we get to the thing I called about poetry. Yeah. Can I say a couple of things about what you just said?
4: You, you certainly quickly. may quickly. You certainly may.
5: <laughs> so about the Smiths and Chris Rock and not how we don't know anything. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of an Italian saying of my mother's, which translated goes it's the spoon that knows what's in the pot.
4: Ooh. <laughs> I like that. I like it a lot. Great? Yeah.
5: <laughs> and the other thing is watching St. Peter's play basketball, I, I was thinking all the time about how smart you must have felt having on the president of that college.
4: We we are attempting to feel smart. Um There's a little bit of background information, which I have no intention of sharing with you, that would make us look somewhat less smart. But the the reality is, before the tournament started, before St. Peter's had played any games in the tournament, you are correct. We had the president of St. Peter's College on to talk about uh, his team. And then I got very addicted to the team, too. I mean, yesterday, obviously, was, was sort of an Icarus moment where they came crashing down to earth. But prior to that, I mean, it was hard not to just love this team. They were so much fun. Absolutely.
5: Well, now now to poetry.
4: Yes. So pose okay. your question.
5: I teach freshman composition. Actually, now you're not allowed to say freshman. It's first year. Yeah. Composition. And um, I'm in need of help finding a rather contemporary poem, one that hasn't been analyzed a lot, because I'm going to assign it to my students, and I, I don't want them to plagiarize. So I, you're, you, you, I'm told by your producers that you actually do read poetry. I do, and may have thoughts here. Can you suggest a poem or two that I can assign? Assign these kiddos.
4: Okay, so I'll I'll give you two. Um,
5: so one one of them
4: you made me think of one of them when you said the thing about the spoon, the Italian proverb about the spoon. So here's a, here's a poem by the uh, poet Charles Simic. That's S-I-M-I-C. I may not even be saying his name right. I think it might be Hungarian. Yeah, maybe? it might be some
5: other way.
4: Yeah, so it's called Fork, uh, and it goes like this. This strange thing must have crept right out of hell. It resembles a bird's foot worn around the cannibal's neck. As you hold it in your hand, as you stab it into a piece of meat, it is possible to imagine the rest of the bird, its head, which, like your fist, is large, bald, beakless, and blind. So, so that's a, like a nice poem just because you just said spoon. That's so I had to do four. But Charles Simic is an interesting person I think your students could relate to. I, I sort of think that, you know, if I were – and I'm not going to specifically pick a poem, I don't think, but – so the poet, poet – and I always do say this name wrong – I think her name. I think you say her name Louise Gleck. It's G L U E C K. G L U E C K. And I think she's won a, a major award recently, like a Pulitzer or something like that. Um, I think her poems are very approachable. The, the The collection I like a lot. I believe this is now. I'm working off the top of my head here, but I, I believe it's called Meadowlands, and it's um, uh, has a series. And this is it, this is now twenty twenty five years years old. This, but. Um, it has um, a bunch of poems that are connected to the Odyssey, uh, and one of them I think is called Telemachus's Lament or Telemachus's something, um, and it's it's a sh- very short poem, but it's about how he says when he thinks about his parents, when uh, when I, when I, I I'll, I'll paraphrase it, but it's something like when I used to think about my parents, I used to think very sad. Now I think very sad, also crazy, also very funny. Um, and so I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in, in, uh, that Louise does that I think is sort of workable, too. So off the, off the top of my head, those are two ideas that we may get other yeah, suggestions okay. as the show goes along, too.
5: Awesome. I will be listening. I appreciate this so much. And All I'm right. going to play this clip for the students so that they can feel famous.
4: That's right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what's, like, what's the name of the school? Let's shout them out here.
5: It's the University of Hartford's Hillier College.
4: Oh, yeah, I know the University of Hartford's Hillier College. And what's the name of the course that we're shouting out right now? It's first uh, year or University something.
5: Trump and Literature.
4: All right. So so get out there and do it, you guys. Get out there and do whatever it is that Maria is telling you to do. Uh, and and you, you know what you guys are? You guys are the St. Peter's University of Poetry right now. That's how you, this class at Hillier should think of themselves. Think of yourselves as the St. Peter's basketball team but of poetry and then overachieve. All right, that's my pep talk.
5: Oh, but, but that didn't end well.
4: Well, no, it did. Look, <laughs> to get to the Elite Eight, <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good when you're the right, 15th right. seat, you know. These kids I are not going to win the Pulitzer good. this year, but, you know, maybe they'll get to the Elite Eight of poetry analysis. <laughs> all right, I really have to go now. You are charming and fascinating, but I suppose I have to sort of now deliver on the promise that we will talk about these things. So here is Joanne from Canton. Hi, you're on the air. Hi Colin. Hi.
1: Can you you hear me? I can hear you just Um, fine. Okay, All right. So I wanted um, to share something. I was shocked and horrified at Will Smith's over-the-top reaction last night. Um, And then this morning on Hoda and Jenna, Hoda talked about an interview she did with Will Smith where uh, I don't know if he wrote a book maybe, uh, and it was in his book that he, um, considered himself a, co- a coward for a very long time because he did not stand up to, I think it was his stepdad who, um, abused his mom. And I, when I heard that, I thought it put, um, it put what he did last night in some context, um, cause his reaction was, was very emotional, obviously, and, um, and it, it may I, I believe it may have been triggered by some old feelings about not, not standing up to people hurting, you know, the woman a woman that he loved.
4: It's an interesting theory, although as you probably have heard, or there's this sort of Zapruder like analysis that's going on with the, the clip itself. He appears to be laughing at Rock's joke until he realizes
2: At first.
4: Yeah, that his wife yeah. is giving him the evil eye or the eye roll or whatever. Um, and, and I think the other thing is part of growing up and and part of becoming a, a kind of a psychologically integrated person is and this is a pretty early basic part is realizing that Chris Rock telling a joke is not your stepfather hitting you you know these those are just right. not the same thing and and that right. you know there's there's so many ways in which I mean, one thing that I've been saying to myself today, and I guess I probably tweeted it too because I'm incapable of thinking something and not tweeting it, but um, is that if any husband in the past week were going to go and punch somebody who had verbally tormented that husband's wife— It should have been Dr. Patrick Jackson punching Ted Cruz and we would have had like a national celebration. Even the Republican caucus of the Senate would have celebrated Ted Cruz getting punched. Except we know also that shouldn't have happened. That would have been very suboptimal if that had happened. And if it had happened, it would have brought kind of dishonor to the Jackson family who instead brought honor to themselves with the incredible restraint that they they showed, not in the face of one joke— but in the right. face of days and hours of pestilential verbal tormenting and baiting of this right. very distinguished judge, so if she can keep it together, you know, and and never yeah. really do much more than heave a sigh now and then, then Will Smith ought to be able to not punch Chris Rock <laughs> over one yeah, joke.
1: I, I was I wasn't excusing his behavior. I just thought it it gave me a little yeah understanding of what appeared to be a really really over the top strange reaction.
4: yeah I mean you know look ultimately we'll never know. you never know what's going on inside people you know and, and right. I, I, the thing that hadn't occurred to me right at that moment was that earlier in the evening the Re- Regina Hall had made a joke about okay. about the S- Smith's non-monogamous marriage. Um, okay. And if you didn't know the subtext, you wouldn't even notice the joke. Um, but yeah. they noticed it, and supposedly yeah. Jada laughed, and Will looked uncomfortable. But you, don't, I mean, that's an example of you don't know what kind of tension is building up at that little table where they're <laughs> sitting. Right. You know, I mean, it it probably isn't just about uh you know a a bald headed you know joke. It's yeah. probably more than that. But we'll be the other thing that I would say about this is that ultimately the thing that bothers me or that I'm still kind of chewing on is this notion that men should protect women from jokes. I get that men should protect women from muggers and assailants, but I think we've reached a point where we think women – can protect themselves from jokes. Women know what to say. They know how to handle a situation like that. The idea that they need some man to go lumbering up there and slug somebody, you know, that seems to me like 30 or 40 years out of date. And and that you yeah. know the response to a joke probably should be another joke or a, that's not funny. But but this right. idea and then Smith he kind of doubled down on it when he gave his acceptance right. speech. He started talking about all these women he had protected on the set uh, of King Richard. You know he protected this a- actor and that all these women in the cast that he'd protected. And I'm thinking, well, now you're using those women as props. You're you're yeah. you're suggesting somehow or other that they benefited sim- from your similarly from your kind of alpha. A male thing that you just did—I just thought the whole thing—it's just so unfortunate because he really did give a good performance, yes. and this was his yes. night. It was going to be his night, right. and it's not.
1: And Jada Pinkett Smith is no shrinking violet. She could have responded,
4: yeah, at some point as well. I wrote a joke for her to say right away, you know, but uh, oh, right. I, I couldn't text it to her in time. She was getting so many texts from Ginny Thomas that I, I couldn't get through. Um, <laughs> all right, listen. Thanks so much for your call, Joanne. Who knows? Maybe that's the last time we'll talk about that on the show today. I don't know. I don't know what people are going to do from moment to moment. But I do know that Elizabeth is not calling to talk about that. So we'll take her call. We'll go to break. We'll regroup. All right. Elizabeth on Long Island. Hi.
3: Hi. Hi. Um, Wow. I'm calling. I'll I'll try to make this short and sweet. I'm calling because I read a next door this guy who's a— a uh, tradesperson is talking about, you know, how he's this wonderful person, and he, he, you know, charges cheap charges, and he's really, really this great guy. And the next few posts, he talks about Biden and Putin, and um, how we've got a corrupt government, and that the Ukraine is corrupt, and that Putin is fighting the dark government, and that just really, that concerned me is like he's killing people. And that's what you consider is good
4: right, well, I mean, welcome to the interwebs i mean
3: well you know. yeah I know i i but this was just such a just such a discrepancy that this guy thinks of himself as being this really wonderful person and then approving what putin is doing
4: well i mean to say the obvious there's a former president of the united states who's saying essentially the same thing uh, on a very regular basis these days um so yeah i, yeah, I think there's there's going to be that you know there is going to be that idea uh and it's it's a relatively small group of people who are going to entertain that idea there are more complex and layered ways to talk about all this you know that that aren't quite as simplistic as the way people tend to talk about it. I mean, including the fact that, you know, I mean, we need to examine our own eyes for beams before we run around looking for moats in other eyes. And I specifically think of the invasion of Iraq, which we did with essentially no legitimate provocation, caused insane amounts of deaths and damage fully destabilize that part of the world to the extent that... Oh, yeah, you're,
3: you're, you're preaching to the choir. Yeah, yeah, no, I... I was I, against the war in Iraq. I knew it was a sham from the no. beginning, and I was extremely upset with it. And I do compare it as the same thing. I yeah. do, you know, I, we we do not have clean hands No. Um. by any, any measure. But to sit there and approve of what Putin's doing
4: is, no. yeah. you know... That's not cool. But and there are going to be people. I mean, one thing that, one thing that the Internet has done is to brought, bring to the surface kind of everybody. You know, I mean, if you if we if I could pull the big red switch on the wall and make the Internet go away and revert us to our life circa 1992, um, you would never meet that guy. Or if you met that guy, he would never tell you that you know
3: I mean well the one thing is that I will never I will never hire him for the trade it's just like you know it's just so appalling right. that someone would you know feel that you know committing genocide is the best way to fight the dark government right and, and I think
4: in general if that guy showed up to do vinyl replacement windows or whatever it is he's offering to do on next door, you know I don't think he'd be like you know spouting off about Putin I just don't I think no. the, I think the internet created a world where people share stuff and where you find people that you would never encounter ordinarily. And when you, in- you find these people, they're telling you stuff because they feel safe. They're not looking at you. You know, if that guy sitting there working on your baseboards at your house and he starts talking all this nonsense and, and notices your body language— He's probably going to shut up pretty fast because he wants to get paid and all that kind of stuff. So I just feel like you know, the Internet is a place where there's no body language, no eye contact, no nothing, you know, And then people just say inane stuff because they want to, and, and they also typically enjoy getting you upset and watching you respond. That's what trolling is after all. So anyway, that's all. That's all. All right, we're going to take a break. The number to call, 888720. WNPR, 888-720-9677.
3: My sadness, she livens my days, she bursts with a kind of madness, my well-ordered ways. My happiest mistake, the ache of my life, you must meet my wife. Bubbles with pleasure, she glows with surprise, disrupts my accustomed leisure and ruffles my ties. I
1: don't know even now. Quite... Support for this podcast comes from Hartford Healthcare.
2: Elevating Health is funded by Hartford Healthcare.
3: children cannot play and the people have forgotten how to pray it's a land where faith and friendship should be tried but an iron curtain keeps the Lord outside they lock God outside the iron curtain Oh, Satan
4: All right. You know who I heard sing this song over the weekend? It's the reason I, I get to pick out when we do these all-call shows. I get to pick out the music we use. Um, and so I heard Margaret Atwood sing. <laughs> I don't know if you've gotten any of Margaret Atwood's albums. She's actually an excellent recording artist in addition to being a fine author. No, she sang it on the Ezra Klein Show. She, so Ezra Klein has this podcast um, that he does, I think, for the New York Times. Yeah, of course he does it for the New York Times. So he has his podcast, and it was him and Margaret Atwood. You know, Margaret Atwood is incapable of not giving an interesting answer to a question. Really, if you asked Margaret Atwood, you know, I don't know, what's a great way to make, uh, you know, a souffle or something? I mean, she would just be really interesting about it. I just feel that way. And, like, all the way through, every, <laughs> everything she did, everything she talked about, whatever he asked her, it's, you know— I don't know about you, but you know how like uh, the New York Times book review section is among a number of places where they ask people, who would you have at a dinner party if you could have anybody? And they often say literary figures or whatever, alive or dead, who would you have? And I'm always made nervous by those questions because I don't really have a good answer. You know, I mean, I've talked to a lot of the people that I've really been interested in getting to talk to. I'm lucky that way. I haven't been able to talk to people who've been dead for 100 years due to the failure of this organization under the leadership of Mark Contreras to spend any money to budget at all for psychic help, for seances. There's just no money in our budget. So I don't ever get to talk to Cicero, for example. But anyway, I now know that if I were having a dinner party, I could invite anybody. My first invite goes to Margaret Atwood. She's just such an interesting person. I mean, I love her as a writer too, but you could just – that was just – you know, she's just amazing. Anyway, she sang that song, and I thought, well, I got to get that song. Um, all right, that's all. Uh, our number eight 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 seven two zero WNPR eight 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 seven two zero WNPR. I do want to quickly say, if you haven't seen, I hope people do see Coda. You know, it's not the greatest movie in the world, and it's arguably kind of a middle brown movie. Um, but a really, really good middle brown movie, and it's about stuff that, as I say, I was fortunate enough to really you know have an opportunity to interact significantly with the deaf community and and I learned so much over the course of that time um but I mean, first of all, if you can get through coda and not cry during the Berkeley audition scene, and that's all i'm going to say i I don't want to spoil anything. If you don't cry during that. there may be something deeply wrong with you. Uh, it it really is just you know an emotionally powerful movie, and it's worthy. And I'm you know I actually had written up on Facebook I think at some point within the last two or three weeks. It wouldn't be a terrible injustice if it got Best Picture. I didn't think it was going to get Best Picture, but but there you go. All right, so oh boy, all these things. All right, so we are going to talk to. Well, I just look. I was going to go there, but now I'll go here. Okay, so I guess we'll go to Sue. Uh, And then, I don't know if Pat's still there or not. If Pat's there, I can go back to Pat. All right, Sue from East Hartford, you have the floor. Eh, Except you might not be there. Sue, are you there? Sue from East Hartford? Huh? Mm? No? All right, Uh, let me go elsewhere. Well now there's, you know, I just have to talk to this person. I, this will be something that I'm totally, oh, I should say before I go to this phone call, speaking of things that I'm totally unprepared to uh, talk about, which I think I'm about to talk about right now. <laughs> um, I do have with me a Mr. Karp envelope, if necessary. I mean, I think today of all days, we don't need a Mr. Karp envelope. Uh, but Mr. Karp, the Mr. Karp envelopes, for those of you unfamiliar with this format, are provided to me by Mr. Karp. Uh, and they contain clippings like newspaper and magazine clippings, not like grass or hair clippings. And these are things that um, – okay, Louise Gluck won the Nobel Prize. I'm an idiot. I don't know why I couldn't come up with that. Uh, but anyway, they they, uh, they, complain, they contain clippings of things that maybe conceivably would be good to talk about on a show like this one. But um, – oh, this will be good. This will be good. Um, but anyway, I can only open those envelopes when somebody calls up and says – open the Mr. Carp envelope. It's like a magic spell or something. I can't do it otherwise. And I don't know what's in the envelopes. And it might not be stuff that, you know, who knows? The last time I opened it, I kind of choked. All right. So here is Dave in Lake, either Lake Como or Lake Compounds. I don't know. I can only see the CEO part. (laughs) Lake County, Ohio, actually. Oh, okay. Oh, that's this Dave. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm that Dave. Yeah, sorry. Me again. Um,
2: totally off the wall comment, but I was listening to One A and maybe, or was maybe Megna's show, you know, last week, and they had a, an aid worker who was very dedicated young man in his thirties, you know, talking about the difficulty of getting food and supplies into Afghanistan, and you know, reasonably well educated and, and a very good-hearted person, and you know, couldn't impugn him in any way. But the guy, as so many seem to be doing now uses the word right as a substitute comma or i guess it's the new uh and you know when it happens three or four times in one sentence like he would say well of course you know since we've turned our backs on afghanistan right uh you know it's becoming really difficult to get people f- focused on the problems of that now that ukraine's so such a big thing and news, right and it's like mm-hmm. i don't know dude you tell me is it right or not it, it's just so incredibly annoying but you know you have two poles in the way you can react to it just you know grimace and try to move on or you know as a friend of mine says you can shake your cane at the tv or throw something and you know as the millennials take over the world i'm just wondering where do you come down on how to deal with that you you teach students right you know if if they do that how do you how do you react
4: i think my students are more troubled by the way i talk that i am troubled by the way that they talk um that would be my guess anyway but <laughs> i i guess i feel in the words of the gershwin's that these are passing fancies and in time may go you know like there's always like a new thing there's a thing i just did that to annoy jonathan McPence, who hates it when i sing on the show so um <laughs> I I feel like these things happen. And for example, when I first started in public radio, there was a lot of people, there were a lot of people upset about the way the word so had had come to be this kind of universal. Brutal. Yeah. yeah. First first word of every sentence. Uh, and, And either it's diminished or people habituated to it or whatever. But it was a national crisis practically when I first started this and people would call up and complain about it and they would complain if I did it. And and then whatever, just people just it just either becomes background noise, or people start doing it less or whatever. But these are these are just fluencies and ticks. And and if I were a John McWhorter or somebody, I would know exactly right. what to call them. They're kind of spacing devices. I mean, and I would say that the use of right, which I haven't really noticed the way you have, but the word, use of right as a spacing device is also a way of saying you're following me or we, we haven't diverged at a fork on the road and gone off in d- different directions. I mean, you know who had had a thing like that? And I'm sure he still does have a thing like this, uh, is Barack Obama. And his thing was, look, and Anytime time he really wanted you to sort of absorb the common sense of what he was saying, he would say, look, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, you know?
2: John Kasich does that. A bunch of people do that, and that's annoying too, but, you know, who these days actually thinks out a sentence and actually says it without
4: the need for a spacing device? Not that many people. Yeah, I, I you, you might be right. I, I, I think I don't know, if, I, if I had to really pull to, pull together a totally unsubstantiated guess about this. I would also say that one of the things that one of the changes that's happened in life is that because of texting, because of emailing, because of Social media, people don't talk as much. They don't talk to one another. Talk, talk to one another as much, yeah. and and they may be therefore a little less. To me, the 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 thing that you're describing, the right, the use of right, is seems sounds like a product of of insecurity. I'm talking, talking, and I'm saying something, and then I go right because of blah, blah 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 blah. So it's like, am I making sense to you? Am I, you know, are we connecting yeah. verbally right now? And and. It might be an outgrowth of a Generation Z and millennial generations who just don't talk back and forth that much and maybe have to take the extra effort to make sure, are we on the same page? Are you still listening to me? You're not looking at your phone while I'm talking right now, are you? Um, and it may be a, <laughs> like all of that stuff just coming out. But the one thing I can guarantee you is it won't last forever, and if it does, you'll stop noticing it. Anyway, it's great to talk and to you. And the
2: thing that will come after will be more annoying, but there Oh, it. yes,
4: absolutely. That's, that is guaranteed. It's always great to talk to you. You're a wonderful call. Uh, Dave, thanks for calling. Okay, Sue thinks that we're intentionally disconnecting her. That's absolutely not true. We're dying to (laughs) know what Sue has to say. Hi, Sue. You're on the air. Hi there.
6: It just was so weird. I got disconnected twice, and it's like you don't want to hear me. I, I didn't think you were like that. So Anyway, what I really want to say is that part of what Will Smith said was a direct apology to everyone there, and The academy itself and, and the whole, the, all of his wording, everything he said with the tears coming down his face. I knew because of my own life, this is a person who has been working hard on himself, trying to be better. And he even said he wants to be, he's trying to be a loving person. And it is extremely difficult in the minute of your rage. To be able to turn around and in one way or another say I was wrong and apologize, that is a strength of character that is amazing. Right there in front of the entire world. I, I was just so impressed with him for having the strength of character to do that. And that's all I really wanted to say. Yeah,
4: I mean, as you can probably tell, I don't agree with that. I mean, I'm not all for condemning Will Smith or anything, but it seems to me that he didn't come across last night overall as a person who's doing a lot of work on yourself. If you've been doing a lot of work on yourself, you don't walk up on stage in front of millions of people all over the globe and punch somebody over a joke. I mean, that is not something you do if you've been working on yourself. Um, <laughs> that's that He would be in the lowest, you know, 10th percentile of people who are not successfully working on themselves because most working people don't do that. Working
6: on yourself is, takes time. Yeah, And he, he, got, he, he was overcome by the moment, I suspect, alcohol. And, and so he didn't control himself in the moment. But he, he's far enough along in his progress as a human being to be able to make that kind of an apology in front of the world.
4: See, I didn't How like the apology either because him I thought he, I thought he used the the women in King Richard as props there, you know, saying, "Well, I have been protecting these other women too. I had to protect them." Well, who'd they have to? Who'd you have to protect them from? The most dangerous person in the room, as far as anybody can tell, is you. Nobody else in this whole room full of people goes around hitting people. So, like, who yeah, are you? He, pro- he who he are you protecting?
6: We're black, so we don't know what he may have been protecting them from.
4: True, that's true, okay. but I mean, let them say that. You know, let them say let them come forward and say he was a wonderful influence on the set. And any time I felt like, you know, things were bearing down on me. Don't announce to the world that you've been protecting somebody who is. How did he describe the woman who played his wife, that she was courageous and delicate or something? Or delicate was the second word he used. And I'm yeah. thinking, you know, don't say she's delicate and you were protecting her. You mean, let her say that if anybody's going to say it. But for you to claim it. Is like claiming you're a hero, you know, at a moment where
6: I read it was the way I read it was that he was describing his mindset
4: Mm -hmm.
6: as the protector of these women and and not so much that he was, but that that's where his mindset is.
4: Yeah, what's a bad mindset? I mean, look, he wrecked the evening for himself more than anyone anyone else. He wrecked the evening. And he, he wrecked it, I'm sure, for Jada Pickett Smith and a whole bunch of other people too. And, and, and so I don't think – like I, I don't think we should be condemning Will Smith like he's Vladimir Putin or something like that. It was ultimately – if it had happened anywhere else in front of an international audience, it would be an incredibly minor incident. Uh, you know, like <laughs> as I said from my background in pickup basketball, if it happened in a pickup basketball game that lasted more than an hour – I'm not even thinking it would have been the worst thing that happened during that hour, <laughs> at least some of the leagues that I've played in. But, you know, I mean, the problem was that he walked up on stage at the Oscars. You know, you're an actor. You know what the Oscars are. It's not a place where you go up on stage and hit somebody, even if they've said something that you find you know legitimately offensive. I mean, first of all, if that happened, has anybody ever seen Ricky Gervais host the Golden Globes? He would be getting punched every three minutes you know, for two and a half hours <laughs> if people thought that they could just go up and hit people who are saying really, you know, who are making frequently hilarious but very unpleasant jokes about them. I mean, this is this is not a world that we want to live in, right? We don't want to live in that world. Uh, we don't want to live in a world where people go running up on stage and hitting people just because they didn't like what got said. I mean... I mean, obviously, Dr. Patrick Jackson was in no danger of hitting any U.S. senator. But I mean, that's good, right? It's good that people know enough not to do stuff like that. Do you want to live in that world? All right. So we will take a oh, somebody else. Should I just take Brian right now? I feel like maybe I should. Uh, All right. Let's. Oh, there's two of them. There's two of them. All right. uh, I'm going to start with Laura in Madison and then. Uh, all right, here's Laura and Madison. Hi, you're on the air.
1: Hi, how are you? I'm I good. have a, just a quick comment calling about somebody who recently just called in about uh, somebody's way of speaking and use of the word right.
4: Right, that was um, Dave. That was Dave in Lake Como, Ohio.
1: Okay. So My point is that he is clearly not very self-aware because he used that term himself in the very short time that he was on the radio with you, in addition to saying, you know. Multiple, multiple times. So I think that it just really surprises me when somebody is so happy to point the finger at somebody else without realizing that there are like three fingers pointing back at himself.
4: Well, it is. That's all. That's all. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. Um, I, I do feel as though we all do that, right? I, there, I just did. I, did I just do that? Was that an illegal use of the word "right"? If it's at the end of a sentence, I thought like the Dave proscribed. Version of it is in the middle of a sentence. But we all do these things and we all have these verbal tics. I remember this one woman wrote to me. She said that her kids would sit in the car while she was listening to my show and that I have a little bit of a habit. I think I do it less so these days, but I have a little bit of a habit of saying to a guest, tell us, tell us more about that or tell us a little something about that. Tell us a little about that. I don't know what it is. It's something like that that I say. And there are kids would scream with laughter uh, when I would do that, and and I wrote back. I said, "Are you asking?" I wasn't clear to me what you were asking. You know, are you asking me whether you should hit your kids? Because I think you know, like a very light, what the Maliazzi brothers used to call a dope, a dope tap, a dope smack, something like that, on the top of the head. You know, that would probably be a good idea. Get them to stop doing that. Um, all right, that's we're going to take one more call about right because because that's the beauty of ask or tell me anything is that. I can think I know what the topics are going to be, but I don't. So here's Brian and Mystic, and then we absolutely have to go to break. We're already screwed. Uh, hi, Brian. You're on the air.
2: Hi, Kyle. How you doing? Fine. Uh, the whole conversation about right and you know, I think you're giving too much volition to the speaker because they are all verbal things, And it takes a lot of different uh, uh, forms. Okay is one. I had the cousins used to say, per se, all the time, not knowing what it meant or when it was appropriate, but it was just what they would say. So I think you had it right when you said it was a verbal tic.
4: What is? I mean, but people have verbal tics. We all do. There's no getting away from it. Uh, And like, I don't know. Remember the apparently kid? There was a kid, a little kid who was interviewed by local TV on some kind of fairgrounds. And he was the cutest little kid in the world. He was really dorky and weird, but he began every sentence with apparently. Um, (laughs) And I think he wound up getting flown out to be on the Today Show or something, so he could even do that some more. All right, we have to take a break right now. We will be back, but not for very long, because I screwed up the clock. Okay, I have got to, uh, first of all, I'm delighted to say that it's fun to be back here in the studio with Kat Pastor as my technical producer, as she pretty much always is. Jonathan McPants is up here. Uh, he is uh, taking all the calls and stuff like that. And I guess, I can, can I promote forward to this? I I think we're doing this. I'm pretty sure we're doing this. So, as you know, when this whole Will Smith thing happened, we thought, oh, it's too bad we're not doing the nose, which is a cultural roundtable on Fridays where we— We do talk about things like this quite a bit. And so what we've decided to do today for podcast listeners only, this will not be available on the air, but like right after this show, I'm going to record uh, a special emergency first responder nose episode. It'll be about 20, at the most, 25 minutes long. And we are going to talk about this whole Chris Rock, Will Smith thing. I'm going to let other panelists talk about it instead of going on the way I just have. And that will should be up in our podcast feed by late afternoon, early evening, something like that. Uh, and I think we are going to have uh, Jacques Lamar, Sean Murray, and Vivian Nebetta on to do that with us. Uh, all right. So I so uh, lead paint John in Middletown. I swear to God, I'm going to get to you. But let me just since we're on a little thread about it, let's uh, take Elizabeth from Roxbury first, and then John from Middletown. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Colin. Thanks
0: for I don't know, taking my call. I've been meaning to call you in the past because I think people say, I mean now. They start off, I mean, before they even had said anything that would say have anything to do with I mean. I think that replaced, yeah, no, as kind of a way to start. And I got to tell you that my college roommate said from Yalesville, Connecticut, said right in the 1970s, early 70s.
4: Well, also, I mean, I mean, when you when you say I mean, the first place my thoughts go to, and I'm not even sure this makes it into the 70s; it might even be late 60s. No, no,
0: I mean, is today.
4: But no, I mean, think of think about Alice's restaurant. All right, because at Alice.
0: I mean, I mean, I mean. yeah, Yeah, I know.
4: Remember that analysis yeah. restaurant? He does. He goes. I mean, I mean, I I'm sitting here on the bench. I mean, I'm yeah. sitting here on the Group yeah. W bench. So, I mean, has been around for a long
0: time. <laughs> Colin, you listen when you speak. Though you're going to start a sentence with "I mean," and so are your interviewees. The Will Smith thing. I thought you had far better things to say than I could, especially with the uh, Judge Jackson's uh, confirmation. Hmm. But. um I love Chris Rock, and I thought it was okay, I guess, that Will Smith was defending. I I understand all the things you said about his wife, defending his wife. What what irked me was that uh, when Will Smith got up and was emotional and didn't have a tissue, my TV had a censored across it, and they said that he had spit on the—he had a hawker or something on Where'd that go <laughs> on the stage?
4: Oh, is that why they did the thing? Yeah, because at one point they put up this thing that just said the Oscars or something like that. Uh, it said um, yeah. And, yeah.
0: And and I heard later, I don't remember where, but not in the New York Times today. Uh, the, the New York Times showed that it was a slap, not a slug. That was where I learned that. But anyway, I um, have always you listen to yourself say. I mean, it's not like uh, Arlo Guthrie, in my opinion. All right. And and it, and it replaced. Yeah, no. And the one before that, I, I can't remember. But anyway, I love your show. And anybody I try to talk to, is, here's someone else on, on NPR at the same time. Like if you get closer to New York.
4: Yeah. That's terrible. I mean, I mean, that's just terrible. All right. I have to go. But that's a great call. Thank you, Elizabeth. Poor John. John, you only have like about 60 seconds, which may not be okay. enough. But go ahead. Okay.
2: Colin. Okay. Love you. Uh, love uh, the show. Um, uh, uh they used to say the devil made me do it uh now they're saying, now i think they should say lead paint made me do it i can't i can't imagine uh, um as far as uh, discourse um we're just you know and yeah you know, obviously not getting along and uh but i um but i don't think it's the subject matter i think it's the way we're uh, we're thinking about it and i think our our capacity our intellectual you know as a result of ingestion of lead paint we're not, a, you know, we're not dealing with things the way we used to 30, 40 years ago.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, certainly so many things that were promised or implied by the movie Idiocracy are now happening. I don't know that I feel like <laughs> I feel like lead paint is a little bit dated. I, to me, that's like an Arlo Guthrie era reference as the explanations go, although there are 37 million homes and apartments still that have lead paint. I looked that up during the break. Uh, all right. We have to go. Although we are about to record a special emergency first responder nose episode. So you should, if you look at the podcast feed in about three or four hours, like around four or five, something like that. Does that seem like it would be right, Pants? Uh, who knows? And thanks for listening today. And thanks to everybody. And I mean, it's been a great show.